Well, this time, if you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, am I on? I think I'm on. Mark chapter 14, and as you're finding that, if you join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures, I know we've been kind of standing, sitting, but uh, we'll stand for one more little bit here, and then we'll be seated in a moment, but we do want to stand in reverence and respect for the reading of God's word. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16, these five verses, and the Bible says this in verse 12, and the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? He sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good men of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Verse 16 says, His disciples went forth, and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Lord, we are grateful for the service thus far, for the wonderful songs of praise that we were able to sing. Uh, Lord, for the excitement of what's on the horizon here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. We look forward to the services to come. But uh, Lord, I pray now as we turn our attention to your word that you would give us what we need today. And uh, Lord, I recognize that there are people in here with all kinds of different needs. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would meet each one uh, through your spirit and through the word of God. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd give me clarity of thought and freedom of speech today. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would receive glory for all that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message today is Passover Preparation. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking of the fact that we are only 32 days away from a very special uh, celebration that we here in America celebrate called Thanksgiving. And I'm looking forward to that day with spending time with family and friends and a little bit of football. Um, but uh, also, of course, I'm very much looking forward to the food. And uh, I know I should be more spiritual and I should say I'm looking forward to spending the day giving thanks to God. Yes, that's part of it too, but I am looking forward to the food. And I know, if you're honest, you are too. All right. I love thanks, the, the Thanksgiving main meal, don't you? I love the turkey, the gravy, the cranberry sauce. How many of you cannot stand cranberry sauce? Okay. How many of you love cranberry sauce? All right. Amen. Some spiritual people in the room. I do love this cranberry sauce, and I love just the jelly stuff, the stuff that comes out of the can and it looks perfect. That, that's super satisfying to me. Cranberry sauce and all the fixings, and of course... Pumpkin pie. I can't wait. But one thing about that meal uh, that we all understand is that there's a lot of preparation that goes into making that meal happen. I mean, there's a lot of preparation just when it comes to the turkey itself. I mean, you have to go to the store and pick out the perfect bird. And then you have to thaw that turkey. 
then you need to season that turkey. And, and there's a lot of different schools of thought and YouTube videos and Pinterest posts that give you ideas on how to do that perfectly. Then you need to choose what method of cooking you want to use. You can use the oven. You can use, as my wife does and always turns out really nice, a roaster. Uh, you can smoke it. You can fry it. You can even nuke it in the microwave. But I, who does that? I, I don't recommend that. Um, then you need to stuff it with stuffing, uh, although I'm not a stuffing fan. And then you need to give your turkey enough time to cook properly. And then you need to carve the turkey. I mean, there's a lot of preparation that is involved in getting the turkey ready for Thanksgiving. And that, of course, is just the, the turkey itself. I mean, there's a bunch of other things that are needed. The sides, the decorations. You need a special Thanksgiving tablecloth. You need special Thanksgiving plates that you get at Hobby Lobby. And napkins matching the plates. Um, and, and the list goes on and on, right? There's a bunch of preparation needed for this special celebration. And I hope that gets us all in kind of the Thanksgiving spirit because we're getting close. Well, such was the same for the Passover celebration. It didn't just happen. There was work that needed to be done. And the disciples uh, in this passage knew that it was time to start uh, the preparation for this special time. Now, <clears throat> the Lord is just hours away from Calvary. Hours away from being the substitute and, and giving his life on the cross of Calvary. And uh, we saw last time, in uh, a couple weeks ago, as we were in the first uh, passage of chapter number 14, how the chief priests and the, the scribes desired to put Jesus to death. Uh, they were not happy with him, and they, they, they sought in verse number 1 uh, how they might take him by craft and put him to death. So they were uh, definitely plotting his, his murder. And then it follows that, the story that follows that is the story of Mary expressing her wonderful love and deep devotion to her uh, Lord Jesus by her extravagant display of affection when she took that alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, which the Bible says was very precious, and she broke it and poured it upon his head. Uh, the book of John adds another detail. She also took her hair and began to wipe and anoint the feet of Jesus with that as well. And so uh, she does this, and, and not everybody was impressed with this. Everybody kind of got around and started thinking, you know, she should have sold that ointment and given that money to the poor. Of course, we learn that that was from the book of John, that it was Judas who was the one who said it, and then all the other disciples were like, yeah, what he said. And they kind of got on his side. And then uh, what ended up happening there, Jesus uh, rebuked them and, and commended and complimented her, 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 her wonderful gift. Well, Judas... His response to all of it is he says, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. And he went to go betray Jesus Christ. And he went and uh, had a meeting with the chief priests and negotiated some money and said, hey, what will you give me? And they agreed. Uh, we find in another passage, we agree, he agree, they agreed on 30 pieces of silver. And when they heard it, verse number 11, they were glad and promised to give him the money. Well, now the disciples, after Judas bails, 
the, the disciples recognize that it is now time for the Passover to begin and, and know that now they need to start preparing for it and getting all the stuff and, and getting it all prepared and put out on the table so that the, the, the meal could be just perfect. And so in this passage that deal t- details the preparation of the Passover, we learn three very important lessons uh, in this passage. And I want to take a moment and look at each of them very briefly this morning. First of all, let's look at the significance of this Passover. This particular Passover was very significant because it would be the last Passover of the old dispensation before Jesus Christ dies on the cross and rises from the grave. This would be the Passover that all the other Passovers were pointing to. Now, just to remind you what the Passover celebration really was, if you would kind of hold your place here in Mark 14 and go back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to just do a quick field trip over here to the Old Testament and and be reminded of what the Passover celebration was. Now, the Passover was a time set aside many centuries before Mark chapter 14. And it was set aside in celebration of the time when God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And the book of Exodus is... The story of God delivering his people out of Egypt and they exodus, it was a mass exodus out of Egypt into ultimately the promised land. Now, they didn't get to the promised land in the book of Exodus, but it was the leaving and the departure of Egypt that is detailed here and then the, uh, the tabernacle and the instructions regarding that. Well, uh, most of us remember the 10 plagues that, that God brought into Egypt because Pharaoh, his heart was hard and he did not want to let uh, the nation of Israel go because they were his servants and slaves. And so they, uh, God brought in all these different plagues and the very last one was the death of the firstborn. And God gave specific instruction to Moses regarding the nation of Israel, how they would be prevented from having their firstborn taken uh, during this plague. Now, how many of you are the firstborn in your family? Would you raise your hand? I am the firstborn in my family. And uh, my wife is also the firstborn in her family. So that would have meant, had we not followed the instructions regarding uh, the uh, protection, I would have been taken my wife would have been taken. Well, what were the instructions that God gave to Moses? Well, in chapter 12, in verse number 3, it says, Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. A lamb. Well, that was just some random Uh, animal that God picked out of thin air, isn't it? No, it was a lamb on purpose. Because do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming on the scene, starting his public ministry, he didn't yell, hey, look, there's an alligator. No, he said, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so here in in Exodus 12, though, uh, well before Jesus ever comes on the scene, uh, at least um, here on earth, um, here they were to pick a lamb, every man a lamb, a lamb for a house. 
Verse 4 says, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of his souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5 says, Your lamb. You ever catch that little word, your? In verse number 3, it was just a lamb. In verse number 4, it was the lamb. In verse number 5, it was now your lamb. They were to take this specific lamb out of their flock. They would probably, many would have to buy them from a shepherd in the area. They would have to uh, buy a lamb, and then it would become their lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So it was supposed to be a perfect lamb. Does that remind you of anybody? How about the Lamb of God who was spotless and without blemish, without sin? That's Jesus Christ. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So they were to pick it out on the 10th day of the month and keep it for four days. Now imagine this morning if I had a puppy. And I said to Blake and Kaylin, I have this little puppy. Can you take care of it for four days? You know what's probably going to happen in those four days? They're probably going to hate life for a little bit of it because that, probably, that puppy probably is not potty trained. But probably what's going to happen in those four days is Miss Kaylin's going to say, this little puppy is so cute. I love this little puppy. And Brother Blake's going to be like, I don't really like this puppy, but inside, he's going to say, I love this little puppy too. Now, don't you know that in Exodus chapter 12, when they were supposed to pick that little lamb and keep it for four days, don't you know that there was a little bit of an attachment that took place there? They're like, this is my little lamb. And this is to show that, wow, uh, this was intentional because God wanted them to understand the high cost of sin, that it, it costs something. It's not just some random little animal. Uh, yeah, we'll just take the life of this animal. This is now my little lamb that I'm having to sacrifice its life. And so in verse number six, you shall keep it into the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Was the Lamb of God killed? Yes, he was about to die. Here in Mark chapter 14, in Mark chapter 15 is when he's crucified. So he, the Lamb of God, is about to be crucified. He is about to also be killed. In verse number 7, They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh, and that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat of it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the uh, pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And then verse 12, he says, uh, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite 
all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, here it is, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. We can flip back to Mark chapter number 14. You see that all that was going on there was... Yes, it was for that moment for them to be rescued and escape the judgment that was coming. But it was all pointing to the ultimate a Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed for us. And if we were to apply his blood to our souls, we can, re- we can escape the judgment of or the, the wrath of God to come. And so the significance of this particular Passover, I guarantee, or at least in my mind, I guarantee, I, I can't prove it necessarily, but I imagine that the disciples thought this was just another Passover celebration, kind of like another Thanksgiving. Here we go again. The Cowboys lose again. <laughs> but this Passover, I'm telling you, was no ordinary Passover. This is the Passover that all Passovers were pointing to. The, the, the one where Jesus, the ultimate Lamb of God, would be killed, and then His blood would be shed. And then when it is applied to each and every one of our hearts, we can be saved from the wrath to come. See, there is, this was no ordinary Passover. This was a significant one. And my friend, if you're here and you've never applied the blood to your heart, I'm hoping that today would be the greatest day of your life. That you'll apply the blood to your heart. Because, by the way, if there, if there is no blood of Christ applied to your life, then you're not saved. And you're not forgiven. And you will die in your sins. And you will perish in a place called hell for all of eternity. And hell is not a place uh, where it's just going to be a bunch of goofing around and, and sitting at a bar. And, and uh, it is a place where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of torment. It's a place of outer darkness. It's a place where there, there's no exit signs in hell. And there's a place of continual memory, of remembering opportunities when you could have applied that blood to your heart and to your life. You chose not to. And so... Today, if you have not understood the significance of the Passover, I hope that today you do. And that ultimately you receive Christ as your Savior and be born again so that you can, be, you can escape the wrath of God to come. So we see the significance of this Passover. And it was a significant Passover. It would be the last one of the old dispensation really kicking in the next dispensation. But notice here as this passage continues, not only the uh, significance, but let's look at the sovereignty of this Passover. In verse number 13 here, well, verse number 12 again, when the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, and this was just the regular Passover lamb, but they didn't realize that the real Passover, the ultimate Passover lamb, would be soon killed. 
Jesus Christ would be killed in just a few hours. His disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And the next section here is just an amazing testimony to the sovereignty and the power of our great God. Here he goes in verse number 13. He sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. And then I want you to follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good men of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, and there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, came to the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So here we know that the Lord Jesus, as he's standing there, knew, already knew that there would be a man carrying a pitcher of water. You say, what's, so, what's the big deal about that? Well, in Bible days, men were not the ones who carried the water pots. It was the women, because they were stronger than men at that time. No, <laughs> it's just the culture. Uh, in that day, the women did that. They went to the well. They got their water uh, pot, and they uh, filled the water pot from the well, and then they walked back to their house carrying either on their head or on their shoulder, or I don't know how they carried it, but they carried it. And so for them to find a man carrying a pitcher of water, that was something unique. Do you remember the woman at the well? When Jesus met the woman at the well, she was there in the middle of the day, carrying a water pot. And after her encounter with Christ, and when she received the Lord Jesus as her Savior, she left the water pot. She forgot what she was even doing there. And she went back and was so excited and started preaching the gospel. But uh, so the Lord knew that there would be a man carrying a pitcher of water. And, uh, and the Lord in His sovereignty knew that there would be a man doing that. And that He would lead the disciples then to the home where the owner had an upper, a large upper room that was already furnished and prepared for this special occasion. So the Lord had it all ready to go. Uh, the disciples, no doubt, in verse number 12, were thinking, oh boy, we have a lot of work to do. And really the Lord was like, actually, most of it's already done. I've already taken care of it for you. Because of His sovereignty, because of His power. And so the, the disciples go in verse number 16. They go forth and came to the city and found as he had said unto them. I, I, can you imagine the two disciples? They're going, okay, walk into the city. We're going to find this, this guy carrying a water pot. <sighs> yeah, that's not going to happen because women wear, carry the water pots. You sure you know what you're talking about, Jesus? They get into the city and... Lo and behold, here comes this guy carrying a water pot. They're like, you see that? There's a guy carrying a water pot. Okay, we were supposed to find him, and hey, can you lead us? And he's like, oh yeah, follow me. And they're probably looking at each other like, are you serious? This is really happening. In other words, the Lord had it all orchestrated and under control. Here's my point. He has, God has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens in our lives. There are no accidents with God. The Lord knows and cares about every single detail of our lives. Say, man, this detail doesn't really matter. I mean, it's showing us that, look, God cares about even where 
the, the Passover was going to be uh, prepared and where they were going to participate in that. He cared about the fact that this guy was carrying a pitcher of water and he was going to lead him to the home where this large upper room was and that he cared enough to make sure that this owner had uh, prepared that room for the Passover. I mean, the Bible says here in verse number, um, verse number 15, it's going to be furnished and prepared. So the Lord is sovereign over all. And he is, by the way, right now in each of our lives, working in seemingly insignificant ways for his glory and for our good. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Yeah. It, you ever kind of come across somebody somewhere and you're like, boy, that was kind of a divine appointment. I've had that happen so many times. I realize, you know, it's a small world and it's a small town. And sometimes you're like, hey, fancy meeting you here at McDonald's or at uh, uh, Walmart. Or I mean, we ran into uh, Teresa and Ted at, at Walmart on, uh, on Wednesday night. I was getting some milk and cereal. And uh, they were there too. Those are not, well, that's just coincidence, isn't it? No, nothing happens within the will of God by coincidence. And was it a coincidence that they found this guy carrying a pitcher of water? No, it was a direct uh, result of God's sovereignty. Was it, was it coincidence that he led them to this house that had everything already ready to go? No, it was not coincidence. The Bible says also in Nahum chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So when there's a storm that comes into our lives, do you think that God has a purpose and a plan for it and his way in it? Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, in the Bible, what, what, what kind of points to this thought. And I was thinking about the story of Jonah. When you consider the story of Jonah for a quick second, there's a few things that are really strange that happen in that book or in that story and, and in the life of Jonah there that's recorded. Several unexpected things that happen in that story. I was thinking about the terrible storm that takes place after Jonah gets on that boat going the opposite direction to Tarshish. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but instead he goes to Tarshish. And here comes a, a terrible storm. And this storm was so crazy that the sailors on the boat thought, oh man, we're going to die. We need to all pray to our gods. And, and uh, so that, and, and they thought this was going to be, this was going to be it. And then we know that Jonah got thrown overboard and was swallowed by a great fish, a whale that G Jesus refers to it as a whale in the gospels. And then of course, we know that Jonah finally submits to God's will outwardly and goes to Nineveh and delivers his eight word sermon. Only eight words. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? An eight-word sermon. <laughs> Don't you wish Jonah was the guest speaker this morning? Uh, we'd already been at lunch. Um, well, after Jonah makes his way out of, uh, after his sermon, he makes his way out of the city so he could sit and watch the fireworks that he thought were going to happen that would ultimately destroy the city. And he wanted to get kind of a nice, you know, 
front row seat to it. And so he, he gets up there and he's waiting and he's like, boy, I can't wait for the Lord to rain down fire and brimstone and destroy Nineveh. This is going to be awesome. And so he's waiting there. And then while he's waiting there, uh, a gourd comes up and provides shade for him just out of nowhere. This, it's like this instant pop-up tent, but it's natural and it just shows up and it provides shade in that hot, hot area. And he was like, wow, this is great. Now I, this is the life. I'm sitting here under the shade, going to watch Nineveh burn to a crisp. This is going to be awesome. This is the life. So he's over there having a good attitude. But then um, what ends up happening, a worm came and smote the gourd. So it destroys the word, the gourd, and the, the shade is not there. He's like, what is going on here? I really liked that gourd. Then the Bible says, uh, a vehement east wind came and then beat upon Jonah. And as a result, he was miserable. He hated life. Okay, one thing I left out about each of these strange occurrences The Bible says that the Lord sent out that great wind into the sea. The Bible says that the Lord had prepared a great witch fish to follow uh, Jonah. The Bible says the Lord prepared the gourd. And then God prepared a worm to smite the gourd. <coughs> Excuse me. And then God prepared a vehement east wind. So in each one of these things, it's like, wow, this is really interesting that this is going on in my life. But in each case, the Lord was directly orchestrating everything. And you think about that great fish. You know, one day that fish was born. That whale was born and, and the Lord directed that fish. You say, well, I'm just kind of going along where, the where, where I can get food. Little did he know that there would be a Jonah-sized food that would come into the ocean uh, right then. See, the Lord had prepared and brought and orchestrated everything uh, in, in that scenario. I think often about how my wife and I got to know each other and came together, fell in love. All the things that God did to orchestrate those events happening. I mean, for her to be interested in me, is only an act of God. No amens necessary there. But I know it is true. And honestly, all the different things, uh, the timing on when Julie came to college and, and, and my, my status when I was in college and, and, and where I was in my walk with God, I mean, all of it, just the Lord worked it all out. It was not an accident. The, the things that God did to bring me to salvation are, are not an accident. They weren't just uh, happenstance. It was all the sovereign hand of God upon my life. And here in Mark chapter number 14, we see the Lord once again how he had prepared something ahead of time. Now, this man who prepared this house, I wonder, uh, one, one commentator brought out, he said, I would assume that somewhere along the line, the Lord Jesus met this man, this owner of this home that had a large upper room. And uh, somewhere along the line, it was like, 
He said, hey, Jesus, anytime you're in the area for Passover, I know the place gets kind of crazy and there's hard to find a place to, to celebrate this. So I'm going to have my, I have an upper room in my home that is not being used. I'm going to have that ready for you. And anytime you need to use it, it's there for you. The Lord had already kind of orchestrated all of this. And I'm just telling you, look, the Lord is orchestrating things in our life. And uh, you say, well, I don't really know why God is allowing this certain thing to happen to me right now. God has a reason for it. He, by the way, doesn't owe you an explanation. But a lot of times he does let us know later on down the road why he allowed something. I'm sure the disciples were like, why are you talking to this guy over here? And he says, I've got a reason. Earlier on, and, and, and it was the owner of this home. And then later on, they're like, oh, I get why he was talking to him several months ago. Because he made ready that upper room. Thinking about why would God allow these burdens and trials to come into our lives? Some of you are dealing with trials even now. 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able then to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. It's kind of a lot of, a lot of words to simply say, a lot of times we go through trials so that we can, through the comfort God gives us and the experience and wisdom we gain through those trials to be able to help someone down the road when they go through a similar trial. Many of you know that my mom passed away of cancer when she was just 44 years old. I was 21 years old, going to Bible college, and I remember the day that right before she died, um, I was in my backyard, and I was trying to play hockey to get my mind off of what was going on, but I just kind of threw the stick down, and I said, Lord, why are you doing this? I'm going to Bible college. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to serve you. Why are you allowing my mom to die like this? Well... A few hours later, my mom did go to glory. And the Lord, over the next few weeks, the Lord comforted me and used people in my life to encourage me. And, and the scriptures, of course, helped me. And, and time went on, and I got through it. And then you fast forward a few years, and I'm a youth pastor in Southern California, and we're at teen camp. And I'm sitting there at the end of one of the evening services, and the, and the pastor says, hey, if, if you're here tonight and you'd like to pray with somebody, one of the adults, one of the counselors, one of the uh, youth pastors here, would you just raise your hand? I looked around, of course, to see if anybody in my youth group was raising their hand, or, and there was other churches there, and there was a young man who was about just right here, right behind me, but uh, to my side, and I was looking around, and I noticed his hand was up, and so I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, hey, let's go, and let's go talk, and so I, we sat down, and I said, so you raised your hand, you wanted to talk, and have someone pray with you, so what's going on? He said, well, my mom has cancer, and I was like, well, I've been there. He said, you have, and I said, yeah, my mom passed away of cancer when I was 21. This is, I guess, maybe four or five years later. And I tried to encourage him, and, 
And I was able to do so in a way that somebody who hadn't been there wouldn't be able to really relate as well. You fast forward a few more years to 2020. Um, I was sitting at Van's pig stand getting ready to eat my brisket sandwich and french fries. And I received a text message from Connie Fannin saying, Doc, the test came back, confirmed I have cancer. And I stopped right there and shed some tears and prayed for her right then and there on the spot and texted her back. And was able to, and I'm not saying that I did anything here, but as a church family, I was able to, the Lord used, I think, our church family to help this lady through what she went through. But then the story doesn't end there because then Miss Connie got through cancer. Then somebody else in our church finds out she has cancer. And you know, God used Connie to really be a blessing to Miss Teresa during her battle. You see, why does God allow these things into our life? We don't always have the answer this moment, but God has a purpose and a plan for it all. And God's sovereignty was on display in, in my life in that situation, but, but His sovereignty was also on display here in Mark 14, and God's sovereignty is also on display in your life, whether you recognize it or not. And so today, trust His hand, what He's doing in your life. So we see the significance of this Passover, the sovereignty, and then let's notice very quickly the servants of this Passover, the servants. I love this thought here is the fact that what's so amazing to me is, is, is that our Savior chose to use men to accomplish His work here. He didn't just say, hey, follow me, I'm going to do it all. He chose to use people in different ways to accomplish His work, didn't He? It started with the desire of the disciples, and I do love their desire in verse number 12. At least maybe I'm reading into it a little bit. I don't think I am. When they said in verse number 12, where, at the end of it, where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the path? They wanted to serve. They wanted to be involved in serving their master. And I appreciate that desire. And, and Lord, help me to have that desire to want to serve you in whatever way I can. Then there was the man who was carrying a pitcher of water. I've already said this was a strange deal concerning it was women who normally did that. I don't know if he felt weird walking around doing something that women normally do. Be kind of like wearing a purse. It's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's any other husbands who's ever had to do that. I may have had to do that a time or two. I know I may have to give up my man card for it, but hey, I'm trying to be a good husband and love my wife as Christ loved the church. And so... I think that's in the Greek. It says, carry your wife's purse from time to time. But here was this man doing something that was a little out of the ordinary, but he was willing to do it. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Then there was the owner of the home with a large upper room that was furnished and prepared. Again, before we just skip over that, I mean, it's pretty amazing that he was willing to open that up and kind of reserve that for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was willing to let him use that. Then there were the disciples who he sent forth again. Not only did they have the desire, but in verse 13 it says, He sendeth forth two of his disciples. And then notice in verse 16 it says, And his disciples went forth. I know, kind of a minor little deal, like what's, that's not very profound, Pastor. 
I thought well, you were Mr. Profound today. No. It is profound in that they simply obeyed. God sent them forth, and they went forth, came into the city, found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. They simply obeyed the word of the Lord. Jesus sent them forth, and they went forth. So, Christian brother and sister, can I remind you that Jesus is still sending forth laborers into the harvest field to do the work of God? question is, will we go forth? Will we be obedient to the word of the Lord? Now, think about this. Each one fulfilled their specific role. The disciples had a different role than the man carrying the pitcher of water. And they had a different role than the man who had the upper room with, that was furnished and, and prepared. Different roles. But they all were obedient. They all fulfilled them. And the man who was supposed to be carrying a water pitcher, you know what he did? He carried a water, or a water pitcher. The one who was supposed to have a large upper room furnished and prepared, you know what he did? He had a large upper room furnished and prepared. The disciples, they were supposed to go forth. And what did they do? They went forth. See, each one was obedient and willing to serve the Lord. Uh, Romans 12 and verse number 10, this, or 11, this might be familiar if you were here for the revival services. Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. They were just willing to do their part. Now, what a privilege it is to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's be obedient, willing servants of our great God. He deserves it. And let's each one do what God has called us to do in His Word. And, and look, He's going to call me to do something different than what He calls you to do. But may I be obedient to what God calls me to do, and may you be obedient to what God calls you to do. It's going to be different, but let's be each obedient. By the way, there were great blessings along the way. We don't know the names of even the disciples who were sent forth. Um, I don't know if it was Peter and James or John and Andrew. I'm not sure which ones he sent into the city, but there were two unnamed disciples. There was an unnamed man carrying a pitcher of water, and there was an unnamed man who was this owner of this home who had the upper room. But they each got to be part of something pretty special. The last Passover of the old dispensation. Think about the man who made available his upper room. He gave that room, and that room was used for this special occasion. But it was during that special occasion that also the Lord Jesus grabbed that basin of water and a towel went down and began to wash the disciples' feet. That was in the upper room, and that man let them use. What else took place there? Well, it was there that Jesus spoke of the coming comforter who would come. Jesus spoke of heaven and the fact that he was going to prepare a place for them, and that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Those things were all said there in that upper room. It was also there that the resurrected Savior would later appear to the disciples after his crucifixion. It was also there that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 1 and 2, where the disciples gathered together. So great was the reward of that willing servant to open up his home for the work of God. And great will be the reward for those in our church here who are willing to serve the Lord and open up their hearts and hands for the Lord's sake. The previous passage talked about Mary and her extravagant display of love. Remember what Jesus said about her? He said, she hath done what she could. 
And these servants here in this passage in the Passover preparation also did what they could. But the question is, will you and I do what we can? Will you serve in a ministry here at church? Will you witness to your neighbors, your coworkers, your teachers, your friends? Will you offer your possessions for the Lord's sake? Will you invest in missions? Will you encourage those in the church? Will you pray for your pastor and those in the church going through trials and tribulations? Will you do what you can? God's not asking you to do what someone else can. but God is asking you to do what you can. Are you willing to do it? Will you be a willing and available servant? So very quickly, let's recognize today, as we consider this Passover preparation, the significance of this particular Passover. See, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be sacrificed as the ultimate substitute for our sin, and that we need to receive that payment personally. Let's also be thankful for the sovereignty of God in our lives and to trust Him and the work that He is doing right now that He has a purpose and a plan for the blessings as well as the burdens that come into our life. And then let's each decide to do what we can to serve the Lord of glory. What a privilege and honor that He would want to use us, uh, like sinners like us, to serve Him. So let's be available and willing to step up and do what we can. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for... Uh, the opportunity today to talk about the Passover preparation. Lord, it's kind of a little, little bit of details that we just normally skim over, but Lord, there's a lot of, a lot of truth in, the, in this little passage as, as the Passover was being prepared. And Lord, I pray that you would help these truths, Lord, to be real in our lives. And if most of all, Lord, if there's one here today that has never applied the blood to their soul. I pray that, Lord, today would be the greatest day of their life, and may they be born again. Help us also, Lord, to trust your sovereignty. Lord, when things come into our lives that are less than comfortable, help us, Lord, to trust that you have a plan and a purpose for it all. And Father, I pray also that you would help us to be willing to do what we can to serve you. What a privilege it is. Lord, these disciples, this man carrying the water, this man who owned that home, Lord, all got to be part of something pretty, pretty spectacular. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to be willing to do what we can so that we can be part of your work, which is truly spectacular. Now, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to apply these truths to our lives in Jesus' name.